name is Morgan Cole, and you are listening to Shelf Esteem, the podcast where lately I swap books with someone, and we each talk about a book uh, that we read and recommended to the other. Now, it has been a while. My last uh, podcast came out at the end of April. I did not intend it to be fully into summer before I did another one. I do really aim for once a month. I would love to be able to say that I've been so deep into the edits of my new book, A Company of Rogues, coming out in fall 2023, that I didn't have time for podcasting. That would be a really uh, noble and writerly reason. It's not the reason, although I have been uh, working with my editor on those edits. But really, I feel like almost everyone who listens to this podcast, because it doesn't have a huge audience, almost everyone either knows me in real life or on social media. So you probably know what I've actually been doing since April, which is spending a lot of time clearing out my dad's house after he moved into an apartment so that it could be uh, put on the market. And that turned out to be a huge and time-consuming job. Probably didn't have to be, but because the way I went about it, I made it fairly time-consuming, but it was interesting. I wrote a blog post about it. If you're interested in that kind of thing and you want to go look uh, on my blog, you can get a link to it from my website, trudymorgancole.com, and read all my thoughts about the random things you dig up when you clean out an old house, which I feel like by this time in life uh, that I and most of my uh, friends are at is an experience many of us have had, and those who haven't are probably going to have it sometime. So that took up a lot of my time, and between that and the book editing and you know work and other real life things I did not do any more podcast book swaps even though I had lots of plans to but I always had a very specific plan for what I wanted to do with the podcast in the summer of 2023 and now I'm doing it I'm starting a very short limited series that I'm doing because I find it interesting I hope some other folks will too so 2023 is the 100th anniversary of the publication of a novel called Whose Body by Dorothy L. Sayers. And many of you have probably heard me say that Dorothy L. Sayers, Lord Peter Whimsey novels are among not just my favorite mysteries easily, but my favorite novels in the whole world. And they're not nearly as well known as other Golden Age detectives. Lord Peter Whimsey is not as well known as Miss Marple or Hercule Poirot, or of course, you know, to go back a bit further, obviously Sherlock Holmes. So I thought it would be great to do a book swap with someone else and actually to do a couple of these episodes. So I do have, uh, I do have more coming up in the future. But what I wanted to do for the first one was to get together with my favorite podcast collaborator, my daughter Emma Cole, and ask her as someone who is 23 in the year 2023 to read this novel and see what she thought about it and how it read to her today and then to swap it with a more contemporary mystery that she had read and liked and talk about some similarities and differences and points of comparison between the two and some just general thoughts about mystery novels and crime and true crime and all that kind of thing. So we covered all of that in this episode. We talked about Whose Body, the first of the Lord Peter Whimsey novels, and we talked about the Truly Devious series by Maureen Johnson a YA series of mystery novels that Emma's read over the last few years. We had lots of fascinating things to talk about and compare between the two. We also had a part near the end where we went completely off the rails and could not remember the convoluted solution or motive to one of the mysteries and actually had to go back in real time and look it up on air to try to understand the solution to one of the mysteries. Speaking of solutions, we do give a very clear spoiler warning partway through. We talk about both books in a very general way and talk about some specifics that don't involve the solution to the mystery. And then we say, as we always do with, with book swaps that have, you know, are very plot driven, we say, after this point, there are spoilers, you can turn it off. I hope you'll stay with us at least up to the spoiler point, if not for the whole episode. We really enjoyed discussing these two books 
and I hope you enjoy our conversation as well. So I'm here with Emma Cole, who, Hello. as I think you all know, is my daughter and frequent podcast guest mm -hmm. and one of my favorite people to talk about books with. And uh, this month we have swapped mysteries. Ooh, not no. It's not a mystery what the books are. No. The books are mysteries. The books are mysteries. They are when mystery the, novels. Oh, sidebar. We should do an episode where we talk about books, but we don't say the title, and people have to guess what the books are that Ooh, we're talking about. that's a about. good idea. That's a good idea. We'll, yeah. We'll, we'll we table that sometime. for later. I asked Emma, as part of my, uh, my celebration of the 100th anniversary of Lord Peter Whimsey, I asked Emma to read the first Lord Peter Whimsey novel, Whose Body by Dorothy L. Sayers, which came out in... 1923, exactly a hundred years ago, and uh, in return I asked Emma to rec recommend a much more contemporary mystery for me, and Emma recommended... Uh, the Truly Devious series by Maureen Johnson. Yes. Not the one from Rent. The author. <laughs> the author, Maureen Johnson. And uh, I, uh, she actually only recommended the first book, Truly Devious. Yes. And I was going to read just that one, swap one book from one but book. But I knew, once you read that first Truly Devious, especially the original trilogy, you cannot stop. Because the mystery's not really solved in the first book. It no. ends on a cliffhanger. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, also because I, it was a weekend, a long weekend when I was out of town and had a lot of time to read, I ended up reading all three of the Truly Devious books. Yeah, because uh, they're like, they look like big, hard cover books, but they do move really fast. They are ex extremely quick. They are extremely fast moving. Um, so we're comparing a, uh, I guess, a sort of mainstream mystery novel written in the golden age of detective fiction in mm -hmm. 1923 uh, with a contemporary mystery series uh, written for a young adult audience, mm -hmm. YA fiction, and, uh, that, and, and almost 100 years later. Yes, yeah, just about. So these are like from the 20 teens, right? Yeah, I feel like I was reading them in university, so I'll say around 2018. That's the third one that you're yeah, looking so at Yes, I'm looking there. to see when the third one came out. So the third one was released in 2020. Yes. So yeah, they are they are almost 100 years past the Lord Peter Whimsey novels. And mm -hmm. I think um, uh, we want to talk about both books. We want to talk about some points of comparison and, and things between these, these quite different mysteries. And then we will give clear spoiler warnings and talk a little bit about the solutions of both mysteries. Yes, yeah. Uh, so I guess first I will ask, and, and the reason that I had the whole idea to do this particular book swap was because I'm really interested. I think everybody knows that the Lord Peter Whimsey novels by Dorothy L. Sayers are among my favorite books in the world. Uh, but they are very much of their time. And I was I'm very interested uh, how a young person today picking up the first book in that series, how you read it and how it, it sounds to you today. Mm -hmm. So I would like to know, yeah, your thoughts about that. Yeah, so I found, and maybe this is just me, I found it definitely a slower read than mm -hmm. I would find, say, the Truly Devious series. But I did find it very interesting. But it is very, very dense. Yes, Like a lot of dense, yeah. older works are. Smaller book, a lot of words in them. Yeah. So I found it definitely more dense. I think I just read it too slow. Do you know what I mean? Where, like, you read a book in two small increments, uh -huh. and when you come back to it again, you're like... What was that that I read before? Yeah, I think if I had if I had read it quicker, like or given more time to sit down and read it all the way through, I would have enjoyed the reading experience better. Mm -hmm. Not to say I didn't like the book, right. but just talking about my reading experience. Yeah, it's and particularly with a mystery, I find it does help if you can read it in over a it couple really of days. It really does, especially yeah, especially mysteries because you know you're dealing with a lot of suspects that come and go, mm -hmm. witness like name. There's a lot of names, dates, and details. Yes, yeah. that are important that you need to hold on to to get the fullest book experience. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, I did enjoy it. I thought it was, I thought it was really funny. I mean, not like laugh out loud funny, but like 
there were witty. some witty. There yeah. were some really good comedic moments, and I think something that I know I struggle with in writing is like how can you write physical comedy because uh-huh. physical comedy is such a visual thing. Right. But I found there were some good instances of like situational or physical comedy that were written in a way that I felt was really funny and conveyed the humor in a good uh-huh. way, which I thought was very commendable. Mm-hmm. Um, so for a quick, I guess, plot recap, Whose mm-hmm. Body has to me one of the best setups of a mystery novel. Yes. I will say the sort of meta setup, because if I'm correct, there are a series, or maybe, well, I don't know, a series, or is it just one, short stories of Lord Peter Whimsy. Yes, there are several stories. So this book stories. doesn't really, it feels like it's kind of jumping in the middle of an established character, mm-hmm. which I totally understand. Do the short stories start with any kind of origin story? No. Or, no, it no, jumps right they in. They jump right into the character. In the books, as they were later published... There is a um, biographical note at the end of mm-hmm. each one, which is supposedly written by Lord Peter's uncle explaining the, his, his nephew's background. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those weren't added until some of the later books. Yeah. Uh, what you, Everything you know about the backstory of Lord Peter Whimsy, you have to learn through the books, and it comes through in Good. bits and pieces. I think I, I do kind of like that. And what I really like about this book and the Truly Devious novels, and mm-hmm. I think what makes a good what makes a good mystery story is that it wholeheartedly in both in terms of what the author wrote and how the characters act, it wholeheartedly embraces that it is a murder mystery. Yes. That it jumps right in. Here is our whimsical Lord Peter Whimsy and he is solving crimes because he's curious about crimes. Yes. And that's one of the the points of comparison. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Because uh, you find in a lot of, a lot of fiction, I think, especially recently, that tries to do mystery in a more quote-unquote realistic way mm-hmm. is there's, like, a tension between the characters not wanting to be in a mystery. Yes. Like, something about uh, someone has to solve a crime and they don't want to be doing that or they, Yeah, like, there's a reluctance. There's a reluctancy and there's a reluctancy for people to talk to people about the crime and there's a reluctancy for, like, to, a- anything. There's just a, a overwhelming reluctancy to be in a murder mystery. Yes. And if you're, cr- if you're trying to do, like, a grittier, darker thing, more realistic thing, I see where that's coming from. But there is something so refreshing but old about yes. this novel about from the detective to the victims to the witnesses they are in a murder mystery it feels like a murder mystery night where everyone's like oh you want to know about that night let me tell you yeah um and i really appreciate that and i do appreciate that about the truly devious series as well yes it kind of there's definitely a lot more structure to why everyone is involved in solving the mystery in Truly Devious, mm-hmm. but it still has the same effect of everyone is on board with this mystery being solved, and that's what we're here to do. Yes. It's, yeah. it's unspoken, kind of unspoken in Whose Body, and it's explicitly stated in Truly Devious, yes. but everyone is on board to be in a murder mystery. Yeah, and I think the first point of comparison um, I made, which I will say and then come back to in a minute because mm-hmm. I want to do a little plot summary... Um, but the first point of comparison I made the two, I just made, I made the, I wrote down the phrase intentional amateur detective. Yes. Because both Lord Peter Whimsy and Stevie in the Truly Devious series are people who are just fascinated with crime just fascinated and very with, curious. Very curious. And that's what I, I found kept coming up as a consistent theme in Whose Body, maybe it's a theme across all the novels, is human curiosity. Mm. Like we'll get into this more, but from the detective Lord Peter Whimsy to the eventual revealed perpetrator of the crimes, there's a lot of, 
I was just curious yes, if yeah. I could do this, what would happen if I did this? I wanted to know. Yes. I'm, and that, yeah. is, that comes up a lot in the novel, I find. Yeah, and I think that is a recurring theme with, with the Lord Peter novels, and I'll put a pin in that because mm-hmm. I want to say something about it. But I should, what I started to say a while back, and then we, we immediately got mm-hmm. into comparisons, um, is that the setup for Whose Body is that a uh, nondescript man of no particular importance mm-hmm. has opened his bathroom door one morning and found a dead, naked man in the bath. And yeah. he has no idea who the naked man is, why he's there, or how he got there. Yeah. Because nobody in the house seems to know anything about it, and there's no evidence of you know anyone having come into the house except the people who are supposed to be there. Yeah. So it is kind of a perfect locked room mystery, in this case the locked room yeah. being a bathroom. And yeah, it, it taps into what I think draws people to mystery and what should draw your characters to it is just curiosity, like mm-hmm. something that is odd and strange and inexplicable. Yeah. And there's a very similar thing, I think, in Truly Devious of like, how did that happen? Like, yes. just just a simple logically and logistically, how could these events that we know happened have happened? Yes. You yeah. know? So it, so it sets up an intellectual puzzle from the yes. start. Yeah. And I think they also, we'll probably come back to this when we talk more about the solutions, but I think from my memory, both books, but definitely Whose Body, Mm -hmm. um, the solutions to them are, I think, satisfying parts of, like, meticulous planning that make you go, ooh, that was good. Mm -hmm. And then just, like, human error or luck. Yes, yeah. I find it's very unsatisfying if a solution to a mystery is just all luck. Mm -hmm. That's no good. If it's all like a mastermind plan that's one thing i think when there's an element of both Mm -hmm. it's the most satisfying way to write a a, yes a murder mystery solution and i think both maureen johnson and dorothy what's her face are good at doing that dorothy l sayers Sayers. uh they are both i think so and uh, so for a quick plot recap of what would you if I asked you before we read them what the truly devious books are about there okay there is a weird boarding school in like Vermont or something Mm -hmm. that is the old mansion estate of this eccentric billionaire from the 1920s I believe Mm -hmm. um so really they're both solving mysteries from the 1920s um incidentally um and there was a sort of unsolved kidnapping and murder mystery Mm mm-hmm that occurred at the premises Mm -hmm. and now later this estate has become a school for like gifted kids to do like a weird independent study program like Mm -hmm. you make your own program essentially and so we follow stevie who has arrived at this school with the intention of solving this hundred year old cold case that's why she is there she is a true crime enthusiast she is at the school to solve the crimes that were committed there decades and decades ago yeah Mm-hmm. And over the course of the three novels, she yes. does. And she not only solves the historical crime, but of course, in the process of trying to solve it, new crimes get committed, yes. and she has to solve those as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, that's uh, that's the the recap of of both books. And yeah, I think they both um, the the commonalities between them. The one that stuck out to me was that in both cases, you have a person who is not a police officer, mm-hmm. not a professional of any kind, yeah, an interested amateur who is just curious about crime. Yeah, and I I it's nice. It is. It's it nice. Is nice. It's a good. Yeah. It's a good perspective to have. Because um, yeah, there's a lot of you know people who are kind of thrust into the mystery thing, and then you have to deal with. They're conflicting, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I think Stevie does have maybe a little... I don't know. I think Stevie's desire to solve the murders remains pretty unwavered yeah. throughout the books. 
Um, and yeah, Peter Wimsey just seems completely unabashed by anything. He's well. I'm gonna th- ask about that because I think there's a point at the end where he becomes near the end where he becomes a bit abashed, mm-hmm. and there is something that comes up in the later books that I don't think we get as much of here. Um, that that comes around to that idea of curiosity. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. And one thing that also interested me about both of them was the idea of the setting. Yeah. Um, because to me, in both cases, I know explicitly with the Lord Peter novels, and I think it may be true with the Truly Devious novels, there is an element of authorial wish fulfillment in the setting. Yeah. So Lord Peter Wimsey is staggeringly rich. Yeah. And um, what were there any details about like his life or his setting that kind of stood out I to mean, you? I mean, in just the way that like he has truly anything and everything available to him at all times. I mean, he has this manservant assistant. Mm-hmm. Bunter. Who, Bunter, yeah. who's been with him at all times. You know, he's dashing from one supper club to another, like, taking cabs everywhere, going to, like, just just the, like, the ultimate, like, rich man about town. Yes, yeah. Where yeah. it's, there's, there's no cares. And there's almost there's also almost no boundaries for him because he he know like being rich monetarily helps but also in terms of connections he can walk into these people's houses Mm -hmm. he can put out his calling card which says he's a lord yeah and literally doors open up for him because of this open up for him yeah which you find uh um the opposite of in or not the opposite of but you you that is sometimes a struggle for some detectives is or the amateur detective yes, trope yeah. is people don't want to talk to them yeah how do you get access yeah, yeah how do you get access but in yeah in this one he's enabled by his wealth and stevie is a little bit enabled by the wealth of this school that is supporting yes, this murder yeah, mystery yeah. that she's doing um the thing i know from from reading you know things about dorothy elser she was quite poor she mm. was a struggling writer at the time that she was writing the lord peter whimsy stories and she she said she constant consciously made the decision because she was poor and didn't have all the luxuries that she wanted to basically do all this wish fulfillment with yeah, her character do and give him put everything in his apartment that she would ever imagine wanting in yeah. her apartment. Give oh, him all like, this luxury. It starts with him like um, purchasing or like wanting to go to an auction to purchase some old book, yeah, like some really collects, old like, manuscript. Yeah, collects yeah. rare manuscripts. I don't know if that was an actual passion of Dorothy L. Sayers, but, you know, that that kind of a yeah, thing. Yeah, having the ability to do that yeah. and to fulfill all your whims. And I think, I don't know this about Maureen Johnson, but I feel like most writers love the fantasy as a gifted kid of going mm-hmm. to a, a, a bohemian sort of boarding school where you could learn whatever you want. It is kind of like a real world Hogwarts kind it of really wish is. fulfillment. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it is. You know, I've mm-hmm. created for this detective a setting that I would love to live in. It is also, I think it's it's a very recurring theme in, Ma- recurring theme in Maureen Johnson's novels that her characters end up in England. Oh, um, interesting. Which I I don't want to speak and say she doesn't live in England. I know she is American, but she could, for all I know, live in England. Um, and this series does eventually take them to England. But it definitely has the vibe of American goes to, like, fantasy British boarding school. Yes, even though they're just absolutely. in like, They're in New England, but, you yes, know. Yes, yeah, New England. But so. they, they get there eventually. And, yeah, her, like, the... the Shadow Cabinet ghosty one that was set in England. 13 Little Blue Envelopes, they go all around the place, but they're definitely in England. So. Yeah, yeah. So I think uh, I, I think in both cases, and of course, the Lord Peter, Peter Whimsey novels are in yes. England and are, are written by an English author, but I think we have elements of wish fulfillment in the setting of both, that, you yeah. know, I'm creating this, this world that I would love to live in and my character is solving a mystery there. So that was another thing that, that stuck out to me about them. Another thing I was really interested in and curious about... Um, 
like I said, the, the Dorothy L. Sayers novels are very much of their time. They were written mm-hmm. in the 1920s. Uh, the Maureen Johnson ones, of course, very much of their time, written in the, the 20-teens and, and 2020. Um, and the depiction of characters who are marginalized oh, in you mean any the way. incredibly anti-Semitic comments yes, in this yeah, book? Um, which I feel like I was prepped for. I think you might have warned me about it. I did, yeah. Because, yeah, it is, on the whole, it seems pretty chill. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, there is just rampantly casual anti-Semitism throughout the entire book. Absolutely. Yeah. So so that I should say in the setup of the novel that there's really two mysteries because yes. there's the naked man found in the bath. And then on the same night, mm-hmm. I think, or around the same time, yeah. a wealthy Jewish businessman, Sir Reuben Levy, Goes has missing. disappeared. Yeah. And it's briefly thought that the naked man might be, and then they quickly prove, oh no, this is definitely not yeah. Sir Reuben Levy. But still, but, still, but they also bear spi- striking resemblance to each other, so it's like, yes, what's up there? Yeah, and, and Lord Peter insists on thinking that the two cases must be connected. Yeah. Uh, and his friend, the policeman, Charles Parker, is supposedly Oh, he's a policeman. Okay, yes. I have to be honest, I could not figure out who Parker was or why he was there. I might have just missed the one sentence of exposition. That detective, it's, or he's not even detective. I think it's just Detective Parker. Okay, they sometimes Parker. call him detective, but I couldn't tell if it was like, oh, detective. Like you yeah. know, I th- I thought he might have just been a friend. <laughs> like he, he was his Peter's Watson, friend, but he is like also, he was his Watson or something. He, and he is a bit Watson like. Yeah. Uh, but he is also a police officer. Okay, gotcha, so that, gotcha, And gotcha. so, technically, he's supposed to be looking into the uh, Sir Reuben Levy disappearance. Yes. Almost the Eugene Levy disappearance. <laughs> the Sir Reuben Levy disappearance. Yeah. And Peter, amateurly, because yeah. his mother asked him as a favor, is looking into the body in the bath Well, situation. she didn't ask him is the thing. What I love, I love his, the character of his mother. She's wonderful. She's the Dowager fantastic. Great character. Is that she calls him and says, you know, they found a body in the bathtub. And he goes, oh yeah, and she goes, don't do anything about it. Like, she, <laughs> yeah. like, like she, because I think he even says that she likes to pretend that he doesn't run around playing this detective yes, thing, yeah. but she secretly also enjoys it and clearly shares some of his curiosity, yes. but won't get into it herself. So she tips him off at face value, saying, "Don't get involved in this." But what it really is is her saying, "Please look into Please this. Look it's into very this. strange." Yes, that's yeah. right. Um, so yeah, so Sir Reuben Levy is Jewish. Mm-hmm. Um, he is the only major Jewish character in a very, very white, straight male upper yeah. upper to middle class cast. Uh, and I wondered what you thought of the way uh, he. I mean, and he's not a character who's ever alive in the story. Yeah. He's, he's off stage the whole time. What did you think about the casual anti-Semitism here? I mean, it's not unexpected for a novel of the 1920s. It's not good. No, it's we, not don't good. It. we don't we're love anti, it. We're anti. We're anti-Semitism. Yeah, we're anti-Semitism here. Um, but yeah, I think there was, I, and also <laughs> there is a bit of like. Uh, almost a language barrier when it comes to ye olde bigotry. You know what I mean? When, like, people talk about it and write about it in such, like, um, because a lot of bigotry is concealed with, like, idioms and Mm -hmm. colloquialisms that it is sometimes hard to pick up on. Yes, like, at one point they refer to either Reuben Levy or someone else as a sheenie. Which yeah. is what, I, don't know that I is. think that was a slang term for Jews at the yeah. time. But yeah, but yeah we there, don't pick up on and that. And there's as a so much idea. of it that is, yeah, casual and offhand and not direct. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to pick up on or know for sure where characters are coming from. I think from my understanding, some characters were being anti Semitic in a lot of the ways you would see people being anti Semitic today, like just treating Jewish people as baseline some kind of other different yes. from the British yeah. in some othering way sure, yeah. othering in some way that they won't say outright mm-hmm. but will say you know those type or yeah. whatever 
Um, and then Peter Whimsy was like pushing back a little bit on it. Like, yeah, I think that the text is the text. The idea is that he is less overtly he's bigoted. He's less yeah, overtly bigoted, still. and at least tries to shut down some of the more logically provable ways that people are anti-Semitic. You know, yeah. like just, anyway, he's he he's not he's not an activist by any no. means, but he seems to be a bit more practical, uh, at least about. Um, in like countering some of the bigotry, the casual yes, bigotry that yeah. people bring up when discussing this. Yeah, this and I, case. I think that comes through in, and of course you have only read this book, but mm-hmm. in the other books too. Uh, there's another book uh, with a black character mm-hmm. who is briefly a suspect in the crime, but turns mm-hmm. out not to be. And there is very, very overt racism in the language of all the yeah. characters. And while Lord Peter Wimsey also uses some of that very yeah, racist yeah. language. He also sort of sees this man as a human being, yeah. not as a type. So they're not correcting any language or, you know, breaking down any barriers, no. but at least is not going along with and sometimes going so far as to correct yes. some of the um, prejudice expressed yeah. by others. Yeah, but but in a way that still assumes uh, a very white Christian-centered yes, world. Yes, very you know? much so, yeah. Uh, so, you know, they're, not, they're not dismantling any systems. No, definitely anything. not. No, no. no. Uh, but you know, Reuben Levy is is acceptable because he is a very good man, you know, for yes. a Jew. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there is, but still, is like a wealthy businessman. Yes, you yeah. Know, he's, so. he's he's on the in- inner circle in every way except his Jewishness. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, so there are these two. Um, uh, there are these two mysteries. They are. They turns out they are linked in a way that we will talk about yes. when we talk about solutions. Uh, but certainly, all the talk about Sir Reuben Levy, who never appears directly in the story, uh, is uh, really gives rise to some of the attitudes of the yeah. Period. And I think when we get around to the villains' mm-hmm. motives, I think yes. that is also heavily tied into yeah um, prejudice and, and bigotry and anti-Semitism yeah. as well. Um, and I, obviously, the you know the the Trilly Davis series, a product of a very different time. It's very, I think, um, you know, intentionally diverse yes. in, in its yeah. cast of characters and the kids who are at this school and Stevie's friends and the people she gets mm-hmm. to know. Yeah, uh, there definitely is a lot more diversity and yeah, you know, and I feel like. It's also very, like, Scooby-Doo. Like, it's like, this is the character that has this thing, and this is the character who is this one. And yeah. it's... Which you get a lot of in YA. Yes. Um, you know, to keep the characters straight. Everyone... Yeah. It's... They're, they're just, like, shy, one uh, sentence away from being color-coded. You know what I mean? Almost, like yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, You know, and maybe in a hundred years, people will look back at the novels written today and be like, oh, their prejudices were so obvious. Yeah. And maybe we're as blind to it as Dorothy Sayers probably was to her own anti-Semitism. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's interesting, but it, it's nice to see a more diverse cast of characters, you know, yeah. represented than you do in Golden Age fiction, which is so incredibly white and British. Yeah, and I found that it's so hard to keep all these characters straight because they're is. all Lord this and Mr. That. Yes, and yeah, yeah. yeah. There, is, there is a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have that much problem with this book, but there are a couple of Dorothy Sayers novels, even though I've read them many, many times mm-hmm. and love them, where I still have trouble keeping the cast of characters straight. Yeah. So I, I do get that for sure. Uh, so... I think a little talk, and before we certainly get into talking about Mm -hmm. the solutions, uh, but a little talk about the main characters themselves in each book. Um, And I was, I immediately liked Stevie. Mm -hmm. Now, I gotta ask myself, because I never remember this about books. I often remember books as being first person when they're not. 
Oh, yeah. These books are not written in first person, mm-hmm. the, the truly devious books. But I, because it's a very close first person point of view, at least the modern yes. day parts are, you're uh, not first person, but close, a limited third person point of view. Um, you're always in Stevie's head. You're yeah. always seeing what she's seeing. And I found her a very easy character to like and want to follow along on her adventures. Yeah. I read some reviews afterwards, like Goodreads reviews, of mm. people saying, oh, I hated Stevie. I didn't want to spend any time with this character. That's your problem. <laughs> That's their problem. Uh, but I thought she was very... She's... she's She has a lot of anxiety. She has a lot yeah, of Yeah, that's kind of like her... I mean, most detective novels or, you know, mystery novels, the detective has something that is their personal flaw that gets in the way of them solving the case at some yeah, point, right? Yeah, yeah. For Sherlock, what is it? Heroin? Something? <laughs> I think so. Is it heroin or is it cocaine? Also, I don't it's even know if the drugs. cocaine limits him. I think he just does it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. For Miss Marple, it's being old. Yes, yeah. For Stevie, it is that she has a lot of anxiety yeah. that gets in, like, yeah, like, medically diagnosed anxiety, capital A, that has, um... Uh, that impacts her ability to work and function, especially on a murder case like mm-hmm. this. And I do think, like, she sometimes gets a little annoying, but in the way that real-life people that you like get annoying. Yeah. Um, you know, in that she... Like, she makes stupid decisions. That, just like if you had a friend, that you could see why they're making stupid decisions, but you still know it's that still they're annoying. bad decisions. Yes, yeah. yeah, it's bad for them. Um, yeah, as, particularly in her relationships with others. Like, mm. I, I see her... You know, making these choices with, and of course, she's also a teenager. Also, is a teenager, very yeah. much a teenager. Mm-hmm. And you know, in terms of the guy she's attracted to, <laughs> which oh, okay, sidebar about the guy she's attracted to. You haven't, you have not even dipped your toe into the insanity that is this relationship with Stevie. And was it David? David? Yes. Which goes, I she left their relationship. On such a cliffhanger in the last book, I'm going to go to her house and claw the manuscript <laughs> of the next book out of her hand. But did you think, so David is this guy also at the school who acts very mysterious in a teenage boy way that I guess is maybe intriguing if you're a teenage girl, but if you read it as an if adult If you're a teenage woman, girl who's really into murder mysteries, I yes, think it's especially yeah. intriguing. Um, but if you read it as an adult woman, it's just like, that boy either needs help or to be smacked. You yes. Know? Yeah. And maybe the about. smack would help him. <laughs> we don't know. The help. I found David an utterly unappealing character. Yeah. So it was, that was the one part where it was very hard to get into Stevie's head and see what is she finding attractive. About. Especially when partway through another perfectly nice guy pops up. Who's that? Uh, Hunter, the um, nephew of the crazy old professor woman who gets oh, burned yeah. up. Oh, yeah. Hunter's a nice Hunter guy. Hunter seemed great. He's great. He seems like a decent human being. Uh, he's interesting and interested in her, but And not, not like sending weird mixed signals and being yeah. moody all the time. Uh, moody. Not Why the moodiness. Why are so many young men in YA novels so moody? They're just so moody. Ah, so yeah. Uh, yeah, she has Moody David as a love interest, and I thought, found that part really annoying. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she's, uh, the other parts of her backstory that I found really interesting, like the fact that her parents are wor- work for this extremely right-wing, slightly Donald Trump-like politician. Yeah, and she doesn't see eye-to-eye with them at all. Not at and does all. not relate, which is, I guess that is kind of this YA's version of kill the parents so that the teenager can have adventures, yeah. you know? There has to be some reason that the parents are out of the picture yeah, and not yeah. as concerned as they should be. But there is some, it, there is a little nuance to that as the yeah. trilogy goes on, because her parents are not just awful. No. They work for this awful politician, they have awful views, but it does kind of come out, they do genuinely care about yes, her too, which yeah. I think adds 
a little more texture to it than just my parents are these awful right wing. It's not bars. like a my year of rest and relaxation where the parents are like comically awful yes. and there's no redemption and no nuance to their relationship exactly. at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, yeah, this, uh, this series of uh, extremely popular mainstream YA novels has more nuance to the parents <laughs> than this highly acclaimed literary novel that we read a couple of years ago. Yeah, uh, it it does allow some shading that that allows them to not just be awful. Mm-hmm. So I thought Stevie was for the most part, although she does make dumb decisions sometimes, uh, they were believable dumb decisions, and I liked being along with her as as a main character. I liked solving the mystery along with her. I found that enjoyable. Yeah. So tell me what you think about Lord Peter Whimsey. I thought he was fun. Like I say, I think it's a good premise for an amateur detective, mm-hmm. um, someone who just has so much time and money on their hands and the right amount of curiosity to to get into these murder mysteries when they crop up. Um, I w- you've told me a bit about where kind of the overarching plot goes with mm-hmm. Lord Peter Whimsey yes. and the woman that he ends up marrying. Did yes, they? eventually. Yes, married. which I after a long pursuit. Yes, which I would I think find very interesting given how I was introduced and how yeah. his character is in this novel. Like I think um, that sounds all very lovely. I find maybe his character a little bit one note at mm-hmm. times, but of course it is just one novel out of a series of many. So yeah, and I'm, it's the first novel. I think yeah. his character is a little bit one note in this one and almost cartoonish. There's certain things that she introduces in introducing his character in this novel that don't get picked up again. Yeah. Like, very early on in the first chapter, like, he wears a monocle. He wears yeah. a monocle all through. Yeah. It's a super high-powered lens that he uses for examining things. Never mentioned no. again. He's just wearing a monocle. Yeah. He's carrying a cane, but his cane has a sword concealed in it. Uh. Like, she's kind of playing around with all these yes. detective action hero tropes, and a lot of those get dropped along the way. Yeah. The thing that's interesting to me, and, and that I yeah, wonder how he didn't how even it use read... that sword cane. No, he never uses no. a sword cane, and I think she realized she had just given him an unwieldy little, uh, yeah. little uh, prop that didn't really add anything to the story the character but the thing that was interesting to me and I did not read this novel first I came to the series nearly at the end reading Mm. the book where he and Harriet Vane eventually get engaged yeah Big spoiler for the series but I think everyone who knows anything about it's a hundred years old it's okay um they uh so I, I had to go back and read them much later so I already knew the character well when I read this book and it was like, oh, this seems like a very sort of thin portrayal of what eventually becomes a very rich and developed character. Yeah, I think that's fine for you to find the character along the way of a longer series. But the one I think, the thing that I think tips you off that this is a kind of multi-layered character is that he essentially has a mental breakdown six, seven-eighths of the way through the book. Yeah. Um, And then you find out that this is connected to his... Though they didn't call it that PTSD from yes, the war. Yes, that is right. Yeah. yeah. He oh I for, I completely forgot about that. Yeah, he does have yeah, a complete like PTSD hallucination episode yeah. essentially. Because, you know, I guess the stress of... It, of solving of the solving mystery. It turns is out that this trip. is a recurring theme. Yeah. That he does, it isn't always exactly the same way, but he often, as he's getting close to solving a mystery, has a bit of a breakdown. Yeah. Because he has this whole thing held over from the war about responsibility. Because mm-hmm. he feels responsible for the deaths of the men that he was leading when he was yeah. a very, very young officer. And he has terrible shell shock after the war. And Bunter, his man, is basically the one who kind of shepherded him through that and then has stayed with him as his servant so yeah in this book just as he's about to solve the mystery he has his breakdown his mother appears whisks him off to the country house for a few days right yes yeah Yeah. and and to me that's the thing that kind of tips off yeah this guy's more than just a caricature detective there's Mm -hmm. actually 
you know, like you said, there's always a flaw. There's some yeah. kind of, at least with an interesting detective, there's always some kind of mm-hmm. complexity or darkness. Yeah, and this thing of overburdening himself with responsibility. Yeah, is, yeah. Yeah, I can see how that would be a common occurrence when solving Yes, mysteries. yeah, because yeah, you yeah. really, you're literally... Especially when life... no one's really asking him to do this, yeah, especially. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I think that's something that does come up recurringly throughout the Lord Peter Whimsey books, that he says, and I don't remember who says it in this book, but he certainly says it in others, like, do I have the right to do this when I'm only doing it out of curiosity? I'm not yeah. a policeman like Parker is. I'm not called into it by my profession. I'm just curious, and because of my curiosity, somebody's going to get up, ha- get end up hanged, because yeah. this was the days of capital punishment. Yeah, and there's uh, a little bit of that, like, shame underneath that curiosity, or following yes, that curiosity yeah. of, like, is it bad that I am so fascinated by and get enjoyment out mm-hmm. of these horrible things? Yes. Which is a conversation that's happening right now with a lot of true crime yes. enthusiasts. I mean, this is fake crime that yeah. we're reading now, but of course the characters in them are interested yes. in the true crime yes, of their world. Yes, Peter, it's true crime. And yeah, and you see that a lot these days, like people talking about how strange it is that, you know, white women with podcasts have such an obsession with, like, campifying murder Mm -hmm, and talking about it and using it for entertainment essentially and people are yeah having a lot of talks about how maybe that's weird yeah maybe that yeah and i think i think that's a really important conversation you hear it in pop culture it's a big theme in another book i really read i read recently and really enjoyed it i really read another book i read recently and really enjoyed uh john darneal's novel devil house yeah which is about the fascination we have with true crime mm-hmm. and and when that turns, you know, even darker than the crime itself, maybe. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that is a thing that even though it's 100 years ago, that was a concern for uh, Lord Peter and for Dorothy L. Sayers that, yeah. you know, hey, I, I have this fascination with crime. Is it a little bit sick that I'm so fascinated yeah, with, yeah. with death and murder? And I think there's a bit of that in, in the truly devious ones, there too. There is, for you sure, because, I mean, Stevie comes there to solve an old murder. Mm-hmm. And when you think of an old murder, that's oldie times. Yeah. It don't matter. Those yeah, people are real very, anymore. very, very cold case. Very cold case. But then, of course, spoiler alert, current murders start happening. Yes, yeah. And, she, you know, she gets caught up in did I cause these to happen by being so obsessed with solving the old murders? Mm -hmm. Oh my God, these old murders that I thought of as so distant were real people, just like the people around me dying are real people to me, you know? And I think there are people in Stevie's world who even suggest, isn't it a little sick? Isn't it a little weird that you're so fascinated with these crimes? But again, in later Lord Peter Whimsy novels, this very thing comes up because I think it might even be the very next book. It's Unnatural Death. Maybe it's the third book where directly because of his investigating, at least two more murders happen because the murderer is trying to cover them up. So much like Stevie in these books, you know, he has the question, if I had just left it alone... Would things be better off? Things might be better off. So, yeah, that's... I think that's a really interesting question in both of them about the ethics of crime solving and and being the amateur detective or the true crime fanatic. I mean, it doesn't revolve a lot, at least this book and Mm -hmm. those books don't really revolve too much around that because they do still keep... A more lighthearted murder yes, feeling. Yeah, they are both fairly light yeah. murders. Yeah. Um, and on the theme of lightness, too, I think it's interesting to compare what was a mainstream uh, adult detective fiction in the 1920s and a YA series from the current century mm-hmm. because I think there's a lightness in both that a lot of adult crime fiction today doesn't have. Yeah. Like, there is, there's so much more in in adult crime fiction today. Most of it. I mean, there are the cozy mysteries, but there's so much of the dark, the gritty. Yeah, I'm thinking about, like, the, um, what's her, Lisa Jewell. Oh, yeah, I haven't read those. Who is kind of um, into that, like, 
yeah, it seems like the people who would like true crime podcasts would kind of like this. And I do mm-hmm. enjoy some of her books. Um, I find them very, they're very good beach reads, I yeah. find. But they're beach reads, but they are, like, dark. They have a very unsettling tone. Like, mm-hmm. it's like you feel like something's off the whole yeah, time you're yeah, reading it. Like, yeah. there's there's not a moment of levity in those books. Yeah. It is like, you feel like the back, the, the hairs on the back of your neck are standing up the whole time you're reading them. Yeah, yeah. So it's, like, more ooky spooky feeling, whereas these are, like lighthearted and yeah, fun. And, and more focused on the intellectual puzzle of crime yes, solving, which yeah. I think is, is you know, what a lot of these... The ones I'm thinking of when I think of, of modern mysteries... Also, I are, don't know... Nobody can... Me. Lisa Jewell is not technically a murder. I think they're more thrillers. Thrillers, yeah. Something. Yeah. You know what I mean. Um, don't worry. Our, our small but devoted there's, audience there's does not questions, come after people. There's questions to be answered yes, and yeah. sometimes people die. Yeah. So, you know... I was thinking of something like, uh, well, the whole Scandinavian noir thing and like the girl with the dragon tattoo, which... The girl with the dragon I read it... And everybody was raving about it. I was like, this is so well written. This is such a fascinating mystery. And at the end... No, I wasn't bored. I was horrified. Because at the end, like, that's a very dark, very dark murder mystery. And it doesn't in any way, like, soft pedal or back pedal how dark it gets. And there's a literal sex torture dungeon at the end of that book. Yeah, that's no fun. Yeah, no, I don't need that. I don't need that. Some people do. Some people love that. That's great. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, yeah, whether it's modern-day YA or old golden age Mm -hmm. detection fiction, I I need it to be a little lighter, I think, for me to enjoy a mystery. It it has to be more focused on the puzzle solving and less on the gritty details Yeah, honestly... If Maureen Johnson wrote these books and nobody died and it was just little puzzles, I would find them just as entertaining. That would be fine. Just as entertaining. If it was just the past mystery that she's solving. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. there also are flashback scenes set in, I think it's 1936 yeah, okay, that the, the 30s, crime actually yeah. takes place. Um, so, yeah, there are flashback scenes set in 1936. That's interesting. But, yeah, um, obviously it's the fact that there are current day mysteries happening that, that tend to propel yeah. it along and make yeah. you want to want to read uh, three mm-hmm. books in one weekend. And like I, I do. I she, yeah. She's so good at giving you just enough to feel satisfied in one book, but you have to keep reading yes. for the next one, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, we're going to say now, this is the time when we talk about spoilers. Yeah. So, if you have not read either the Truly DV series by Maureen Johnson, or, or you don't care to be spoiled, or Whose Body by Lord Peter Whimsey, and you do not want to be spoiled, you think you might ever want to read one of these books, stop now. You've heard enough, mm-hmm. but if you've read them, or you think you don't mind being spoiled yeah. in case you ever do, we go ahead, because we're going to talk about the solutions of both mysteries. Mm-hmm. So... Do you want to go first and tell us about the solution of Who's sure. Body, as you remember it? So, well, again, what I think I like about this solution is it's like a good blend of elegant planning and inelegant luck. Mm-hmm. So, basically, there, and I don't remember anybody's names, there is this surgeon doctor. Who has, I remember his name because Dorothy Sayers is so good with these kind of names, Sir Julian Freak. Right, Julian Freak, who actually comes up in the investigation earlier as a medical examiner. Yes, yeah. And he's in the, like, the trial when they, when, when the cause of death needed a jury to be there. Oh, yes. That was fun. Um, Yeah, uh, so he pops up, but then, so the, the story going back a few years is that he was in love with this girl, um, and they were kind of unofficially arranged to be wed by their wealthy families, Mm -hmm. but then she fell in love with this other man, Eugene Levy, and <laughs> Sir Reuben Sir Levy, Levy um, and married him instead. And so the surgeon just kind of built up a lot of resentment, tinged by a bit of anti-Semitism Quite as bit, well. Not only did she leave him for this other guy, she left him for this Jewish, Jewish guy. Yes, which is, is like an even bigger slight. The it's, ultimate it's, insult to yeah. his white English man. Basically, yeah. basically. Um, so he builds up resentment over the years. He's this like 
Matt, he's like the head surgeon at this hospital. He oversees all the like autopsies, mm-hmm. and he also oversees all the uh, corpses that the medical students dissect. Right. Uh, because you know there's workhouses full of people just dropping dead every day. All the time, yeah. All, all the, the time. time. And one day he gets in this. Or no, he he sees that there's this guy who's been injured who looks a lot like Sir Reuben Levy. Mm-hmm. Similar and, age, yes. build, etc. And he basically does a lot of medical neglect to make sure this guy dies. I think he might actually kind of help him along at the end and, and, and kill him. Yes, uh, kill yeah, Reuben. yeah. But this guy's a homeless guy, so nobody cares. So nobody cares. Random homeless guy who has the same height and build as Sir Reuben yes. Levy. Yes. Um, so he's dead. So then what he decides to do is kill Sir Reuben Levy by luring him to his house with some report about oil, something business-related. Yes, yeah, there's a whole business-related well, subplot. There's a business-related yeah. subplot that's not really that important. Um, lures him to his house, kills him there in a similar way to the way that the corpse at the mm-hmm. workhouse died. Yeah. Um, and then he essentially swaps the bodies. Mm-hmm. So he has... So Sir Reuben Levy is in the hospital, and because there was a corpse that came in that looked like him, there's no need to suspect why his body is there. Mm-hmm. And he gets dissected, basically. Yeah. Um, and nobody knows that they're dis- face opened up first. So face opened up yes, first, so, so nobody, nobody can, identify can identify him. him. And then he, this is where I'm unclear. And again, this is I think to do with my reading comprehension. He brings the workhouse corpse to his house, which is like right next door to the hospital. Yeah, he has rooms he adjoining has rooms. the hospital. Yeah, yeah. In the hospital. Yeah. yeah, and he is dragging the body along the roofs yeah. of the back alley mm-hmm. and sees that one of his neighbor's windows is open. And decides, basically, this'll be funny. Yeah, and he also dislikes this neighbor. Oh, he dislikes the neighbor, yeah, but this wasn't his plan. No, no. His plan was not to put him in the bathtub. It was just to dispose of the body. It was just to dispose of the body. And then, yeah, he comes across this window that's open to the bathroom, dumps the body in there. He has this pair of glasses that he picked up on the train, and because he thinks it's funny, he puts the glasses on the 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 body. See, I'm unsure what was his plan... How is he going to dispose yeah, of the body? I, I can't remember. I've read this novel multiple times. I, I can't remember how, how Sir Julian originally intended to dispose of the body. I don't think he had much of a plan. But I mean, that but everything else right. was so carefully planned That's right. That, like, it doesn't seem right, but it definitely... If it's in there, it was not dwelled on. No. How no. he intended to... Because, again, he's dragging a naked body along rooftops. Yeah, yeah. What... What does he think is going to happen? What, what's the plan, Phil? Yeah. Like, um, yeah, I, funny. And as I said, I've re- reread the book many times, and that is still unclear to me as okay. what he was supposed to do with the body. Yeah. So yeah. So maybe it's just his own hubris that he'd, you know, something will turn up. <laughs> it'll turn um, up exactly. And it did. It did, yeah. and it made for very intriguing. I think. Well, it was. It was probably. Again, it, it, that's like a bit of his. His downfall is he was just a bit curious of what would happen if I put him in the bathtub. Yeah, he's almost too clever for his too own Too clever good, because yeah. it makes too interesting of a story yes. and attracts too much attention. And Whereas if you just dump the body in a ditch or something. It might not have yeah, uh, garnered. Because, like, you know, body found in the bushes near a workhouse is not going to bring Lord Peter Whimsy That's a knocking. Right, right. but yeah. a naked body wearing a pair of glasses found yeah. in a bathroom. So that's his hubris. Is, is yeah. He is also... To uh, invested in like the ooh, what if what if there's a body in a bathtub? Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah but what I what I think is also good about both of these books is that there's the solutions are there all along. Yes, is the most key thing to a good yes, murder mystery. Yeah. And this was something Dorothy Sayers was really big on. Was yes. that the 
uh, the author needs to have given you all the clues so that later you can go back and yes. say, oh, it was there and all Because, like, yeah, um, the surgeon is present. He's, like, mentioned and referenced as being a medical examiner on the case. He's, like, talked to in the jury for the, yeah. um, for the autopsy. Um, and they talk about body dissections, and they even talk to someone who dissected a body, the body of yes. Sir Ruben. Yeah, yeah, and I think at that point... Which was such a funny scene. Oh, I love that scene. So she's getting... like, what do you mean? People in murder mysteries are always saying they remember something that happened three weeks ago. I don't remember what happened three weeks ago. And they go, hmm, what if? What were you doing three weeks ago? And they know that he was one of the medical students. But yes, it's, it's very, yeah, very funny. Yeah. So they're, they're through the process of... of as if it's just a just an exercise and the content yes. doesn't matter. They yeah. get the information. It's very well written scene. Love that scene. It's really um, well But yeah, so in a way, there's not like a big reveal. It's the dread that you and the widow have been feeling is confirmed when they're like, yeah, he's not missing. He's, he's dead. He was dead, dissected yeah. days ago, yeah, you know, which yeah. is... Yeah, because until that point, we don't know for sure that we don't know where it was. Dead. Yeah. Um, and there's like, maybe there's going to be some turnaround or some final twist. It's just like, nope, the bad thing that we suspected all along, that's what it was. One thing that I really like in this one, too, that I think is coherent with Dorothy Sayers' belief that you need to give all the clues, mm -hmm. is the actual motive for the murder is explained in conversation really early yeah. on. I think it might be Lord Peter's mother or someone mm -hmm. who says, oh yes, uh, Sir Julian Freak is a great friend of the Levy yes. family. I believe he was engaged to Christine before yeah. she married Sir Reuben. It's there the That's whole time. The, whole the, thing. It's the right method of, of the body disposal, the motive. Yeah. But yeah, the, and the suspect. Yeah, yes, they're yeah. all along. It's all, all along. there in front of you. If I can drag a book for a second. Yes. Because there are some people who don't do this. For yeah. People think, oh, of course, everyone knows that's how you remember. No, it's not. Do you remember one of the... We did a book swap on it. Mm -hmm. It was a beachy, beachy read. The woman who did the books that were set during COVID and they have the graphic covers with yeah, the Jennifer faceless Weiner. people. Jennifer Weiner. Where the one where someone gets murdered at their wedding. Yes, yes, yes. Where, yes. And I, I think about this so often. How it was such a good book. It was such a good book, right? It was. Yeah, it, it, was, was, it was the first of those... What summer. was it? Big Summer. Big Summer. Big, Big summer. summer. That was a Jennifer Weiner Big Summer, yeah. Which, lovely book. Mm -hmm. Good read. Except the solution was so unsatisfying. Yes. Because it was, it, was, you... it was someone that had no involvement except for a brief scene. Okay, a brief scene that, that seems unrelated, mm -hmm. but it was that character all along. That's good. Except there's no other breadcrumbs. There's no other indication that you can go back and go, oh... There's no oh moment. Right. And in yeah. the end, it's like, oh, this character went to school with these characters. But we didn't know that. And she changed her name. We didn't know that. Why did you write in that the character changed her name if we never heard the first name to begin with? Yes, exactly. It's not like they were talking about an old friend this whole yeah. time. And then we find out that old friend changed their name. And it's this person that I know. Oh, my God. Like, the revelation of this character changed their name so that they wouldn't, so that they could escape their past life or whatever. And they are the murderer. Happened, like, on the same page. Yes, yeah. Why yeah. do that? Why? And, and, like, I feel a good mystery you should be able to look back at the end and go, oh, yes, I saw it. I, I didn't see it, but if I was smart yes. enough, I would have, because all the clues were there. There was nothing in no. there. And so, I think, great book, bad mystery. Yeah. These books yeah. get that right. Whose Body definitely gets it right. The Truly Devious books, I am going to say, they get it right on the past mystery. 
I'm not 100% convinced on the present day I mystery. think I would say about the same. So the solution of the past mystery. Yes, and I forget a lot of yeah, this, so, so go ahead, So the please. wealthy businessman who founds the school, his wife and daughter are kidnapped, and there's a ransom demand. Mm-hmm. He pays the ransom, but they do not turn over the wife and daughter. There's also a young girl, a student at the school, who mysteriously disappears at the same time. Yes. Turns out that Two she... Two seemingly unrelated mysteries. Seem, yes. same, same as whose body. Seems good like they're setup, unrelated mysteries. Uh, but in fact, she uh, caught the, the kidnapper yeah, in the act. Because she, so she was also kind of like a... Like a 1930s Stevie, like yes. she was poking around. Yeah, and, poking yeah. around, trying to find things out, whatever. Mm-hmm. So the the solution to that mystery was that the guy who was actually like their security, the rich yeah, guy's security, security the guy detail. he had hired as his security detail, had actually done the kidnapping because he was desperate for money. Yeah. And he knew, knew exactly how money. much money the rich guy had. Of course, being their security, he knew everything necessary. He hired the guys to kidnap the wife and daughter. It was supposed to go all smoothly. Yeah. Some snags happened. Yes, like the like the guys he hires to kidnap them there's like something yeah 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 Yeah. the wife i think fights back and ends up getting killed uh the kid the guys he hired as a kidnapper take the daughter away and stash her in a house in the country and then add a twist the daughter the rich guy's daughter who we know was adopted turns out that the security detail guy was actually her father Mm -hmm. he doesn't learn that till later and then he gets frantic to find what happened to her yeah because she just disappears she just disappears and it turns out she is also dead accidentally. She yeah. didn't. She didn't. She wasn't killed as a result of the kidnapping. So there are three deaths in the historical mystery. One, the guy kills her directly. The student who's yeah, snooping to around up. to cover up his crime. The wife is unintentionally killed when she tries to fight the kidnappers. And then the daughter actually dies of illness in yeah. the place where she's kind of being hidden away. <sighs> yeah. Uh, so. Stevie puts it all together from the historical clues that the old guy, the old rich guy who's, you know, who's, who was the victim of the crime, his wife and daughter were kidnapped, he found out himself. Mm-hmm. He left clues behind, but then he also dies. So yes. he never gets to reveal, you know, who did it. Mm-hmm. So that's the past mystery. And I will say that also is very good at a very literal interpretation of the solution being right in front of your face the whole time. You know, who's always on a staircase but never on a stair. Yes, yeah. Like that idea of you're looking through all these reports and these statements and these documents. It's like, who could have done this? And it's the guy writing the statements and yes, writing the reports. Yeah, the guy you know? who was there all the time. Yes, so yeah. yeah, that I think is really, really well done. I think the way Stevie solves it is great. Uh, there's a couple of things. And is that all wrapped up in the first book? Second book. Second book. It's okay. wrapped up in gotcha. the second book. I think. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's wrapped up in the second book. Um, there are, there's a big red herring, which is where the title comes from, Truly Devious. Mm-hmm. Because this, what looks like a threatening note is sent to uh, the guy beforehand, yeah. before the wife and daughter are kidnapped. And everyone's like, oh, whoever wrote this note obviously yeah. did the kidnapping. But this turns out it's unrelated. It's yeah. just some people playing a prank. Just some dumb luck, basically. Yeah, and it's kind of, again, it's kind of like Sir Julian Freak putting the glasses on the body. Yeah. It's just like a little unrelated twist that deepens the mystery but doesn't actually help to solve yeah, it. Yeah, it's, yeah, it, it throws things off because they spend so long trying to figure out what those glasses are yes, about yeah. when the actual perpetrator gave it no thought no at all, thought you know? And the same thing, there's been, there's been decades of mystery solving going into this truly devious letter that turns out to have nothing to do with the actual crime. Yeah. So the modern day crime is that basically as soon as uh, as soon as Stevie starts investigating, st- other people start mysteriously dying. Yeah. Two other students die. 
and then uh, this slightly crazy professor who is investigating the case and writing a book about it or something also dies when her house burns down. Yes, so yeah. one student is like trapped in an, two of them actually are trapped in underground yeah, tunnels. Like gassed or something. Yeah, and they? die in different awful ways. Uh, and it's she can't figure out what the motive is for it or who would have done these things. Mm-hmm. Do you remember how now I've read this a few years ago what the solution is? I remember who it is. Mm-hmm. It's Nate, the like supervisor, right? No, it's Charles, the head of the school. The the oh the... no, not Nate. I that's what I meant. I meant the head of the school, but I thought his name was Nate. But Nate is the friend who writes stories. Never right, mind. Right. Nate is Nate. Nate, Nate doesn't do never. anything. Nate, Nate doesn't do never. shit. The be- um, Nate, oh, speaking of books that have great side humor in them, Nate, the is... writer who doesn't write a single thing word the yes. entire trilogy. Nate, Nate is so funny because he's this kid who got famous for publishing a fantasy novel, best-selling yeah. fantasy novel, when he was fifteen, which is clearly a takeoff on. Christopher, whatever his name, Paolini, or whoever did the Aragon series. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, But then Nate is supposed to be writing the next book, and he just has massive writer's block throughout the whole series and will do anything to to avoid avoid writing. Yeah, including being a sidekick to a murder mystery. Highly related. Very good, very good. But, you know, it is Charles, you're right, is the, yeah, the, um, the head of the school who's, like, Stevie's, like, um, her, like, thesis supervisor, essentially, who's, again, helping her put all this stuff together. What is his motive? I have no clue. So the motive is that in the old rich guy's will, yeah. at the time that he died, his daughter's oh, okay, was yeah. kidnapping was still unsolved. He didn't know she was dead. So he leaves this codicil in his will that by the time of whatever, if she hasn't reappeared and anybody has solved the mystery of her death, I can't remember what happens to all his money if the mystery is solved. Whatever it is. Anyway, it turns on the fact that if the mystery can be prevented from being solved and remains unsolved, then the school is going to inherit all this money. I think whoever solves the mystery, if it turns out she's dead, whoever solves the mystery of her dead gets all his money. Mm-hmm. If it remains she's unsolved, alive, or, or yeah. well, if she's alive, she gets the money. Yeah. And if it remains unsolved, then the school, which he endowed and founded, mm-hmm. gets the money. And because the head of school, the, the headmaster, whatever, wants the school to get these millions of dollars... As soon as Stevie gets close to solving the crime, he starts killing people. That seems so flimsy. And this is so often my problem with murder mysteries. Flimsy motives. That one's flimsy. It's really flimsy. Like, I mean, yeah, you can be invested in your job. But are you that invested that you will murder children? Yeah, murder two students who are in your care, and then a wacky professor whose only crime is being wacky, just to get an endowment It's not even like he specifically will benefit. Like, I understand that with the security guard, because he was hard up for money or whatever. Yes, yeah, yeah. And that's human error that he felt too ashamed to ask for money. Yeah, but so felt like it'll be elaborate crime. Concocts yeah. an elaborate crime. Whereas Nate... Uh, Charles. Charles, damn it. <laughs> Charles, he's such a Nate to me. Charles doesn't even concoct an elaborate crime. It just seems goes on a rampage. Yeah, he just starts knocking people off. Like, also, he is also the head of the school. He could... Uh, what's it called when you kick someone out of a school? Expel. Expel Stevie or not have admitted her in the first place. Yeah. Because all of these people apply to be at the school for a specific reason. And it almost seems like he he let her in so that she could work on solving the mystery so he could then stop her from solving the mystery. I think what it was explained as, and this doesn't make it any better, is that he wanted what he really wanted was for someone to solve the mystery and find the daughter alive. No, yes. no, that doesn't make sense. No, because no, she'd be like, 
she's really old by yeah. this point. No. So it doesn't make any sense. No. It doesn't make any sense, actually. There's no reason. Why would he want her there? Why maybe, would he bring her there? Maybe there's an explanation that we and missed. And also, again, if he brought her there and went, oh shit, I don't want her to solve this mystery, there's many other ways to get a school shot. Because he doesn't even kill her. No, he doesn't kill the person who's actually saw getting close he to the He just kills mystery. other kids he kills other who people. she doesn't even particularly care for. <laughs> it's like he's trying to scare her away from doing it while at the same time... Right, because he leaves, like, some threatening messages. Yes, yeah, he leaves But then why not messages. just kill... Okay, I gotta, like, sidebar here for a second while we get to read his, like, villain monologue or whatever, because there has to be some, there has to be some explanation for why he does this. There's a dollhouse in the attic. I remember that much. There is a dollhouse in the attic. There's a dollhouse in the attic. Oh, the other thing I was going to say, unrelated to Charles and Lucian, is Stevie, like Lord Peter Whimsey, has a huge anxiety attack right before solving the mystery. Does this feed into a narrative that somehow mental illness makes you better at things? If you believe that, you should read the novel Turtles All the Way Down yeah. by John Green, mm-hmm. which is about try- somebody trying to solve, solve a, a mystery, mystery while having obsessive compulsive disorder. Rather than a breakdown leading to a revelation yes, that helps yeah, them. Yes, exactly. But yeah, I think it is a trope. That, yeah, you know, very much so. Uh, but of course, it's also, I think in both cases, it is that idea of the responsibility of solving a mystery yeah. and all that's going but to it rest d- on Yeah, it also does kind of feed into that trope of, yeah, you just have to have one breakdown and then you'll have clarity and, you know able to solve a murder mystery. I got it. I just gotta, gotta look and see if there's anything in his explanation. Because uh, this guy, Freak, we get like a seven-page Yes, he confession writes a seven-page confession which letter. Which is lovely, because it's like, it's also just kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. He's a fun villain, except for the anti-Semitism, but he's, you know. And the murder. Yeah, and the murder. But he's a, he's a murderer with a sense of humor. So I don't, and again, it's like everyone, even the villain, are gung-ho to be in a murder mystery. Yes. At some point, he basically goes... I, I love this. There's this there's this moment where I, I'm pretty sure he says something like, when I'm playing chess, I hate when there's a moment where I know that I've lost and someone wants to keep playing the game. Uh-huh. I fully recognize you are a few steps away from figuring out it's me, so I'm, like, I'm giving up, yes, basically. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I like that that bit gave us insight into his mindset as a villain, where he was like, I'm very calculated like a chess player, but also I know when I've lost. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I think it's great that he, uh, Dorothy L. Sayers, the, the, the murderers that Lord Peter captures often give lengthy and very convenient Which is fun. They all know they're in a murder mystery. Yes. They know that's what we want to know. Yeah. And then, Could you imagine, like, because it wouldn't be fun to read a murder mystery where the murderer gets captured and says, I want a lawyer. I'm not saying anything. That's no fun. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yes. This is, this is where... Charles does his big, you had Alice now. So he, though, because Alice's body is also buried on the grounds. Right. Charles knows this. You had Alice and we're trying to get the fortune her father left behind. You told Dr. Fenton, that's the that's the, the professor who yeah. gets killed, about Alice. She couldn't contain herself any longer. You set it up, the things would just happen. You turned the knob on the gas and left. Um, you realize you better, if Ellie's, oh, Ellie was one of the other. So did other. he know that Alice was dead and buried on the grounds the I whole time? I think he does, yeah. But yeah, it goes back. She basically, instead of him doing a confession, she tells him, she tells him everything he did. Uh, but she doesn't really explain why he got her in there in the first place. So yeah, maybe before you never thought all that much about the Ellingham case. The school was about to get all the money. If the workmen found the body, they'd get, oh, because whoever finds oh. Alice's body gets the money. Is That's another thing. 
So they right. whoever finds the what body. What would anyone do if they were handed a chance to get seventy million dollars? The codicil so, is clear. You couldn't collect. But what if you had a partner? You could arrange to split it. Oh, so it wasn't for the school yet. He was going to get oh, it, it was personally, for uh, but it was supposed to be with this professor, Dr. Irene Fenton. She was supposed to solve the mystery, oh. and then she and Charles were going to cash in. So yeah, it was it was personal greed was the motive. But right. even so, it's such an incredibly convoluted way to go about so it. So did he not realize that the money Money could be his until Stevie got there and started poking yeah, around. Yeah, I think that could be. Okay. I don't know. Anyway, it's, it is. I found the ending of this one. And the fact that we don't remember it, but we do remember the Ellingham stuff. Yes. Is, yeah, yeah. I think very. I think that that's that's telling that one mystery is much better resolved than the yeah. other. And yeah, it's uh, it's interesting that I found that one very unsatisfying, both because his motive seemed flimsy. And the way he went about it seemed convoluted. Mm -hmm. Which you could also say, like, I also think with Sir Julian Freak, does anybody really hold a grudge for somebody breaking up with them for, like, 40 years and then decide to wait for the exact right moment to murder the woman's husband? Maybe if you're also a bigot. Yeah, and maybe if you're you're also a little bit... um, uh, just obsessive on the subject. Yeah. I don't know, but that that you know, as with many, you just have to buy into the. You thing. do, yeah. It, for some reason, I can buy into. Yeah, for sure. Nate's thing, I can't buy into it. I don't yeah, know. Or why. the fact that he's named Charles, not Charles. Nate. <laughs> Charles's thing. Yeah, I found Charles. I can't buy into Charles it. as as a, a the the murder in the past. Very. I think it's it's a good solution. It's a good reveal because it's kind of that double the guy who was there all along. Yes. Yeah. I like that it was Charles. The actual motive, and not the way as, he went about doing not as it. strong as the rest of the novel, yeah, in my opinion. Yeah, the fact that for both of us it's so vague, and we had to look it up and remember, and we still weren't sure what his what his yeah. reasoning was. I th- think that's telling to how good the resolution. Yeah. of that I'm is. trying to think about the other ones. The box in the woods, which is sequel to this. Yes, right? I remember the solution of that. The nine liars, or whatever the next one is called. There were nine. I mean, there there were nine of them, and they all <laughs> they all had little names that they oh, thought right. I should keep straight. <laughs> Yeah, that's and tough. I don't know if I fully remember the solution to th- I feel like that was kind of one of the ones where like everyone did something. You, yeah. remember, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. So the box in the woods and the nine liars are follow-ups to the truly yes, series. which continue Stevie's narrative as a detective, but are standalones to the Ellingham mysteries that are the first trilogy. Right, and Elli- Ellingham. I don't know if we've ever actually said Ellingham is the name of both the school and the, and the rich guy who founded yeah. it, whose mm-hmm. wife and daughter were kidnapped. Yeah, which so, are I, all very good, all page turners. I yeah. will read the next one when it comes out. Maybe there's one out already i don't know i don't go to chapters as often as i used to um but no i will continue to read these as they come out yes mm-hmm. yeah she she writes a very engaging mystery i do have quibbles with the solution of the modern day mystery but and we have I quibbles enjoyed... with david which yeah. oh. at this point unresolved and honestly worse <laughs> really it gets worse in later Gosh, books i just i genuinely the the last page of the last book the nine liars made me like gasp out loud and i had to throw the book across the room because oh, i was wow. so angry with david and it was just... Ugh, but can't. not in a way that would make you not want to pick up the next book. No, I have to pick up the next <laughs> book in the hopes that the next scene is she walks into the room and smacks him in the face. Good, good. I hope she does. Which I don't think she does, but I hope It'll she does. Really nice. I would love it if just one page, she just goes in, slaps him in the face, and we never hear from him again. That, that's it. That was the Done end with of it. David. Um, uh, one thing I will say, if you want to read any more of the Lord Peter Whimsey mysteries... How many of them are there? 
Um, nine or ten. Okay. And uh, yeah, and you will find I think a and very do, satisfying. Do you have story. copies of them? I have all of them. They are do all on my bookshelf upstairs. Wow. Every one of them. After having for years, I had a motley collection of different editions from the from different books in the series. And of um, some of them I didn't even have because I'd read them from the library and Mm -hmm. didn't have them. And during COVID, when I had disposable income and very little to spend it on because Mm -hmm. weren't going out and doing very much, I was like, I am going to see if I can order a a complete set of these. And there had just been a reissue. They weren't all out yet. But over the next year or so, Mm -hmm. I managed to collect all in a single matching edition. So I'm so happy with them. They're such a great series. Love that. So, yeah, I would highly recommend. And you will find, I think, a very satisfying romance where you hardly ever want to slap either of the people involved. That's good. Minimum slapability. Minimum slapability. So thank you so much for recommending the Truly Devious books. Thank you for recommending Whose Body. Whose Body. And I really appreciated your perspective um, from a uh, young person of today reading this 100-year-old book. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I really enjoyed hearing your take on it and your perspective on it. That wraps up my book swap episode with Emma, where we talked about Whose Body by Dorothy L. Sayers and the Truly Devious Books by Maureen Johnson. As always, if you would like to see uh, links to the books we talked about, as well as other books that came up during the conversation, because when we talk about books, we always end up discussing other books as well. As always, if you go to my website, TrudyMorganCole.com, and you click on the podcast link, you will find the show notes for this episode, which will list all the books that we talked about, as well as the main two that we were swapping. I'm going to be back next month with another Dorothy L. Sayers, Lord Peter Whimsy mystery book swap. And I'm really looking forward to that one as well. Once again, I chose someone who I love talking about books with. And when I recommended the Lord Peter Whimsy novel, we also chose another that we had actually both read that I thought paired with it in really interesting ways. So my summer long celebration of the Lord Peter Whimsy novels and their 100th anniversary will continue next month with another episode. And I hope you will tune in for that. In the meantime, read a good book, whether or not it's a mystery and build your shelf esteem.